0: For you are no longer a slave, but a son and an heir of God through Christ. This is OutboundLife.org. So let me start. I want to, I really want to share something that has a story that's really not only revolutionized a way of thinking of mine, but it was the platform of how we built our mentorship program and the four pillars that we work with. So when we're going through our guys, there's four main pillars that we... We model, we establish, we get them to do, so this becomes a part of them. The first one is identity, right? Because you don't really ever know who you are until you know your father. That's right. just a simple fact. And to try to explain your father, that brings up a whole different connotation, right? To some, that's great. To some, it's not. And to some, I don't even know. But that's why Jesus came to show you the father. Amen. Amen. So we have four main pillars, identity, strength, courage, and influence. So once you know who you are, everybody has strengths, right? But you can't find your strength on a strength finder. (laughs) Just a little tidbit. That's a measurement of a strength. But strength is actually when it's tested against a resistance. So your strength is what you can do against resistance. So if we can put people in environments, in safe environments of development where they're pushed in resistance, they actually start discovering their strengths. So the real strength finder is you need a measurement of resistance, right? So they start discovering their strength, they start utilizing their strengths, but that's great. So you know who you are and you got all these strengths and that, where does that take you? That's where courage comes in. But courage is not a learning how to jump off of a cliff and be able to land in the water and who could do it the highest. That isn't courage. Courage talks about heart, and it's always on behalf of somebody else. So when you're willing to do that on behalf of somebody else, now we have a whole different measurement. That's courage. So we teach them of how to take what they are and now do it for somebody else at their own expense. See, because if they get paid to do it, then it's not at their own expense anymore, is it? That's not courageous. That's a job. Courage is doing it at the only expense. So that's the third part. But the fourth part is when you put these three things in practice, something happens around you. Influence. And influence is what shapes and changes things. Because you will believe my message if you trust the messenger. Right. But if you can't trust me or I don't have any influence somewhere, my message is just words. That's right. Just a thought. We'll have a lot of those today. All right, so now let me get to my notes here. But in this journey those those four main principles came out of a story, but it took me a long time to get to the story because I had a mindset about it. Has anybody ever had a mindset? Like someone tries to tell you the truth, but because of something that you experienced, something you were taught, something, a world you built on, on your belief systems, when this new idea came in, you just tabooed it because it didn't hit your mindset. You know, a lot of times we even come into a new truth, a new revelation, then we get mad at the, the way we were taught the old revelation, so we create a mindset against an old revelation. Versus rising and taking from that and rising up to a different level because there's still some truths in the old revelation, but now we're gonna ignore everything because we've created this mindset. It's even true with father. If you come from a violent father, and I talk about the goodness of God the father, you might try to wrap your mind around it. You might try to get a hold of that. One of the guys that works from us, we were were talking about being a father, and and his first thing, he he showed me the scars on his arms. He said, that's where I defended my dad from the knife. So that was his perspective of father. Now you're trying to say God's a good father. Well, he's God, and this is the thing I got to represent. It, it's not gonna work. So changing mindsets to what's what's good to the point where now he actually can work with his father and has somewhat of a relationship with him from what it was. So see, it takes some time, but we have to not build those walls. So. So grace in his position didn't come to build walls against what was. He came to free all the walls so the walls are brought down so we could see the truth in all of it. Amen. Or the, I shouldn't say the truth in all of it, the truths that are still remnant that have been lost in those things. So I say that because I grew up in a in a family that all they taught was the Old Testament. And we went to church a lot in the Old Testament. And we learned a lot about the Old Testament. When my dad would pray, we got the whole story of King David. <laughs> Food's cold, you're hungry, and I mean, we heard it. I heard these stories over and the wrath of God and the sovereignty of God and God's just going to do what God's going to do and, and, and all these examples. Until I went to a church and they read Romans and it's like, wait a second. <laughs> This isn't correlating between the two. This is what Jesus looked like. This is what this looked like. And this paradigm was really hard, yet I could see glimpses in it, but I would begin putting a wall up. And it's even like when we learn about, you know, we are free. The the law has been fulfilled. It couldn't bring us to righteousness. It was Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. So now is, do we just... Well, no, but we're not meditating on what we do. But God, what, what was your spirit of love that was flowing in these pages that we can discover? So let me start with this. It's Psalms 32, eight. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. This is amazing. Is How can something guide you with an eye? Because you have to be looking into it. So how does God guide you? By you looking into his eye. And you get to see what he sees. See, the people wanted to know the acts of Moses, but see, Moses wanted to know his ways. But sometimes we don't want to get, because I I don't really want to get in your brain, because of perceptions that we have seen. So I want to talk about this, this way of seeing things and how it's hurt us. And it's interesting, it says, is that the secret to Jesus walk on this earth? I'm going to sum it up for you. Here's the secret. You ready? He said this in John 8:14. I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. Amen. That wasn't this elusive thing for just Jesus, because Jesus came in Hebrews 2:17. This reason, for this reason, he had made, he had to be made like them fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest Therefore, when Jesus walked the earth, the same way you learned how to speak was the same way he learned how to speak. The same way he discovered who he was is the same way as a born again believer, you get to discover who you are. The same way he walked in the confidence of his identity is the same way you walk in the confidence of your your identity. The same way he walked in authority is the same way you walk in authority. But where did he learn it? Was it just infused into him? Well, he had the Holy Spirit. So I guess you share the infusion if you receive the Holy Spirit, correct? So we have the same Spirit, right? The Spirit in chapter 4 says, uh, 4 verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That spirit is in Jesus. And then he says, I give you. I will, if you ask the Father, he will give you my spirit. Amen. So we have a spirit. That same spirit. But he was made like us. And this is why this is important is because it's easy to say, I've received something, but I don't need this now anymore. Come on. I know I'm touching in delicate ground, but I promise you, Pastor Greg will not have to clean up. <laughs> I'll clean up when I'm done here. So listen to this. This is John 14 9. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? And this could be applied, put your name in there. Don't you know me? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show them to you? I look at John 14 7. If you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do not know you do know him and have seen him. John five nineteen. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does also. You guys catching a little pattern here? Now listen to this. So Jesus says in John 14, six, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the father except through him. But I ran into a problem. The disciples got to see Jesus got to see the father. What if you don't know how to see him? I mean, what does he look like? How do you handle him? How do you touch him? How do you experience him? How do you relate to him? How do you do those things? I mean, if we're really kind of logical, we could almost make it all like the whole evolutionary process. Well, we know it's six billion years old because this fossil is dated at six billion years old. Well, how do you know the do- fossil's dated there? Well, because the ground it in is in the six billion year range of ground. Oh, but they found some fossil over here. So how old is that one then? Well, that fossil is six billion years old. Well, how do you know that? Because And all of a sudden we get in this cycle that it's like, okay, we're missing something. Let me ponder, let me put it into a better perspective. Man could not relate to God because God was a spirit and supreme and we had a mindset that we were lower than nothing. There was no relationship. So Jesus had to come so we could relate to him. He dies and is raised again, correct? Sitting at the right hand of the father and now we re-deify him and now we don't connect to him anymore. And we've gotten back into the same circle and we're back to where we started from. So when I say my identity is in Jesus, okay, but where is he? I didn't get to touch him. I didn't get to handle him. I didn't, I didn't get to be a part of him. Well, we do that by faith, brother. Now, I'm not saying that we do do that by faith, but sometimes that answer is basically I don't have an answer for you. Yeah, really, exactly right. But there has to be an answer. But see, words, Jesus is the word of life. Words paint pictures. You know what you know, and the things that you understand is because a picture was painted in your mind. But if I give you a word, but you don't understand what it is, it's empty. You can't work with it. You can't understand it. You can't grasp the concept of it. But when you can see that word, it's tangible now. It's like a part of you. It's almost like I've experienced that thing. Like chocolate, we have fellowship with that thing. We know the different kinds, the flavors, how to melt it. We know chocolate. But there's a cookbook in Thailand called "Cooking with Poo." Now we have a whole different concept. And some of you are like, "What kind of disgusting?" But it's crab. Crab it's a Thai word. For, it's poo. It's a Thai word. What's wrong? It's the word. See, now we can argue over the word. But see, you, you, it's going to take you a while now to reshape what I just said. <laughs> Different image went into your head. See, we, we, we work with imagery. We're image people. Really, everything you see is an image of something. Light, sounds. Did you know sounds are, are light? Sound is light waves. Words create light in our subconscious, in our imagination. You guys don't believe. Well, I don't know if that's really true. You guys do things every day subconsciously and you don't know it. And you ask yourself, why do I do this? Because you believe it. It's a part of you. It's the way you do it. It's your, it's, it's who you are and try to reshape. We go to a different custom and you driving, driving on the left side of the road. I mean, I can tell you what it's like, but until you're doing it, it's like your brain's going, and then you finally get comfortable. Now you got to turn. Now, which? (laughs) Do I sign I mean, I flip the wiper blades on more often because everything's backwards. It's a different concept, but now that I've understood it and I've I've been in it, I get it. Like, I just get it. In fact, it's harder actually coming back than it is going there. (laughs) I had to work so hard at doing it right there. Here, it's just, you don't even think about it. It's just part of life. So it's actually harder to remember to come back here because I had to be deliberate of entering into a new way of thinking over here. So I want you to get this picture because the mindset, so Jesus said this. So I was really praying one day. I said, Jesus, how did you... See who you were. How did you see it? I mean, I know the father by the spirit, because the spirit of God is, two, is multiple things. But it's not like God's over here, Jesus is over here, and the spirit somewhere over there floating around. He's not the, he's not the, the, fan, the phantom that's just a part. <laughs> the spirit has much more. And a culture that understands animism probably gets this more than we do. Because in animism, the spirits are in the tree, and when they become part of you, they animate you. So when, God, when Paul spoke to the Galatians, who were Gallic people that believed in the, in, the, the habitation of spirits in them, which made them feared soldiers because they would warp shift, that when he talked about God living in them, they got it. Because they believed in the animism of the oneness of becoming with something else. But when we talk about spirit, so the spirit of God is love, correct? And it brings understanding. Understanding isn't just knowing how to solve a problem. Understanding is being able to fully, with sympathy and empathy, understand the person speaking and me connecting. And there's an understanding that's taking place. Knowledge is just like, I know things about you. But when I understand, I know you. Like, there's an understanding. So, when we, when we come to this place, and we're, we're looking at Scripture, and we want to understand, we can't read information as Twitter posts anymore through the pages. Come on. Yeah. So, the Holy Spirit brings understanding. So, what he does is he takes you into the context and the placement and who they are because everyone's in a different context, correct? If I told you a man, a a lady came to me, well, it wouldn't be to me, let's just go back 100 years ago. A lady comes to the the sheriff and says, a man just shot another man in my backyard. We'd be thinking, oh, it's gotta be murder or some kind of self-defense or something going on, right? But what if it was during a war? And there was one soldier walking across the other. See, context changes motives. Yeah. It changes intentions. It changes a lot of things. But the problem is we like to take our old man, not, not our dual man, but our old nature from the old man, and we like to go for what was given to us at the Garden of Eden with the knowledge of good and evil, of our inferiority, our insecurity, and our fear that we don't measure. Right? Because isn't that what the tree told us? Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, nothing becomes a temptation until you are lowered than the thing that's being you're being tempted with. Once you feel lower than the thing, a temptation can come because now you can look to that to rise up. Come on. That's good. That's good. Wow. So all Eve... Eve the, the real problem didn't come even at the eating of the tree. It was when something came in and had to speak words... That shaped her belief yeah. that said, did God really say, you know what God's doing? He's holding out on you. Yeah. You are actually less than what he had been saying about you. Mm-hmm. But if you eat of this tree, you'll now be like him. They were already like him. Yes. But, and they had no temptation. They probably walked by that tree. We don't know how many years they're in the garden. They probably walked by him. They never noticed the tree. Well, how can God put this thing in there they're not supposed to eat up? I don't know, they never noticed it. They didn't notice the tree of life either, for that matter. They didn't notice it. It wasn't on their radar, it wasn't in their peripheral, it wasn't in their belief system. It had to take someone come in and alter the image of what they thought of themselves to bring them down lower. Come on. Yeah. And then, we have a problem. Yeah. But a problem is we interpret the scripture, we interpret life, we interpret events, we interpret these things through that old nature's thoughts. Wow. Therefore, a problem to you is catastrophic, but to someone who's dealt with that and overcome it many times, it's not it's a big deal, but it's 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 not weighty. Yeah. We can deal with that. Yeah. But to you it's the first time. It's, it's Mount Everest flipped upside down and the point sitting on your head. Right? Because that's where you are. So let me look at a couple more things here. Acts 13, 46. It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves, who's judging them? Themselves. No one was judging them. When people say, oh, quit judging me. Are you really judging them? It's really their opinion of themselves. They judged themselves unworthy of everlasting life. So we turn to the Gentiles. God didn't reject them. They rejected God. Why? Because they thought themselves unworthy of this gift. Colossians 1, 21 through 22. I'm only giving, you guys are well schooled in here, but I just want to remind you of these things because it's getting to my point. Colossians 1, 21 through 22. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Not doing even mass killings. Wicked works is taking something that was good and twisting. Just twisted. Like you go to do something good for someone because you feel obligated because bless God, you're going to love them. (laughs) Versus you love them so you do this and you can't help but want to do something more. Same act. But once twisted. That's a twisted work. That's what it, that's wicked. Right? Cuz wicker twisted. Yet now he was reconciled to yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless in his sight. So how does he now view you because of Jesus? Holy and blameless. Holy and blameless. There's God's opinion of you today. You should probably write that one down. Yes. Put that on your mirror. Does it mean your outer man is always doing those things? No, but your inner man, the inner man of the heart that is taking over the dominance, your personality, who you really are, is working through these mindsets. And that's what we're being renewed to. So I'll give you one more. Um this one is going to get to my point because I want you to see where we're going, but I need this backdrop, so thank you for your patience. So 2 Corinthians 3, 14 through 18 says this. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Yeah. Did he take the Old Testament away? He took the veil that was causing them to live from a different spirit as they read that book. That's good. That's good. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the spirit, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty. But we all now with unveiled face beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. The grace of God is filled in the Old Testament. And with that unveil, we can begin to see what Jesus saw in himself as he lived out his life. Because Jesus said... It's written about me. John 5 39 40. You search the scriptures because they think you give you they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive the life. I love this, so. But your approval means nothing to me. Isn't that just the way God is? (laughs) Here's the truth, but whether you like me or not, makes me sad, but I don't need your approval. Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. His spirit. See, you're trying to approve of me through a wrong spirit, but if you had the spirit of love, your approval would matter to me. Because when we believe in him, we're approving of him and now he could work in his life. It's not that he doesn't want us to approve of him. It's he's not going to be moved by your unbelief. So here's where I got to. I gotta wrap this up in a few minutes. I was walking into C Block. We were doing a prison ministry in South Carolina. And I remember I was getting ready to go in, and we were, I remember, I mean, I, this is so visual. It's like a movie. I park my car, truck, I get out of the truck, and I'm walking up to the front door, and right when I hit the curb, as clear as you talking to me, God spoke to me and says, I want you to talk about Samson. And I said, now this, this is really funny, because you know God's speaking to you, and then you start arguing as if you're talking to yourself. <laughs> like, you finally hear God speak to you, and your first response is, no, wait a second. <laughs> right? Isn't that like, if God could just speak to me. Well, he does, and we're like, we argue with him. <laughs> so I said, I'm not, I don't want to talk about Samson. Do you know where I'm going today? All these guys know what not to do. They all know they came up short. They all know they missed the boat. They all know they have all these problems. And I'm sure women is probably part of that whole process. Do we need to have that conversation of someone that could have been great no longer is? Sorry, no. Th- I, I, something else, please. And as I walked in, I checked in with the sheriff. I remember the, the door slamming behind me as I went down the corridor to the next, the next block. And God spoke to me again. He says, "You misunderstood the story. Hmm, See, there's understanding, and then there's misunderstanding. They're both very powerful. Yeah. But when you misunderstand something, you have the same deep belief as the first understanding." You really believe this idea. Yeah. <coughs> it's just wrong. Yeah, come on. Yeah. So we're going to go there. But I don't get to go through all of it, so we're going to have to catch that on another day. I'm just going to give you enough to make you go and dig it out. <laughs> Let me put context here. Samson was a miracle birth. Samson was visited by God. His parents were visited by God and miracle took place. He's a miracle birth. And here's what the angel says. He will begin delivering this nation from the Philistines. Who he was and what he would do was given to him. Now does God's word fall short? I just want to ask you a question because we always say God's word can't fail. So if he just declared what this guy is going to do, why have we discounted that God can fail? Well, he kind of repented at the end and made it through. I'm I'm going to change your perspective because there's things, the reason these stories are important, they reflect you. This is your genealogy. These are the legends that went before you that are your cloud of witnesses in Hebrews that are cheering you on, that are saying to you what we wanted, we saw far off and you now have it and we are incomplete until you fulfill what you have done and what you are. These are the ones that are the fathers and the uncles saying you could do this. You could do this. What I did wasn't even close to what you can do. Everybody's wondering, man, I wish I had that guy cheering me on. You do, but we've, we've, we've crossed them out because we like managing versus we like being free. See, the children, the, the people in Israel were under the oppression of the Philistines, but they had been there for 40 years. What do we usually do after 40 years being in the same spot? We build a house, put a fence up and get a dog. Buy an RV, just in the good nature's that the country will be stable enough that I can get at least a year out. That's what we do. That's what he was born into. But see, he wasn't born a man in bondage. He was born a free man. He had no comprehension of what it was like to be in bondage. Come on, that's good. All the people around him did. All of a sudden, he's walking through the place he wasn't supposed to, because. Nazarites aren't supposed to go into or Naz. Nazarite, is that right? Yes. Nazarite. Okay. I was thinking Nazarene, and I was getting confused. Nazarite. They weren't supposed to touch the vine. They weren't supposed to cut their hair. There's just a lot of rules that they had, and here Samson's in the vineyard, and a lion comes out. And then the guilt came over him that he shouldn't have been there to begin with and God miraculously saved him so that way he could preserve him for another day. <laughs> no, he responded to the lion. And the spirit of God came mightily upon him and he ripped the lion apart. Because his identity wasn't in his actions, his identity was in who he was. Oh, there's a lot of them in this. But I'm going to fast forward a little bit. So now, there's something that Israelites were not supposed to do also, and that wasn't, you weren't supposed to marry outside of your own people. Samson blew this one too. He liked this girl down the street. She lived on the other side of the tracks. Wrong country, wrong people. They were the people that were actually oppressing him. It doesn't kind of surprise me though because he was a free man and technically they were free too because they were the conquerors. And I don't think his own people were too thrilled with him. You know, Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. But then who would receive him? To them he gave the right. Isn't You see a picture here going on? What did Jesus find in this story? So he goes in And he loves this woman. And I find it interesting is that I used to hear, well, see, Samson had these women problems. That was his downfall. Now I want you to try to explain to your wife why I should withhold all my heart from you because that's going to be my downfall. I want you to find out why Jesus says, I will reveal everything to you from my heart when it was the man sitting at the table that ended up betraying him and he knew he was going to. Yet he did it anyway, because that's what love does. So let's remove that part of it. But here's what's very interesting. Judges 14.4 says this. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. That he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at the time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. See, Samson was a free man, just like Jesus was a free man. Jesus, at the time he was born, he knew of bondage, but he wasn't in bondage. Yeah. Right? There's this picture here. Then we go on to see, as, he, as Samson is doing this, we're thinking, why would you have him go love this woman? Well, then it happened that he gave a secret to her. She betrayed him under coercion, yeah. and he got mad and left for a year. 30 men ended up dying because of it, because it provoked Samson, and the Spirit of God came mightily on him. But keep in mind, during this whole time, Samson is a judge, and to be a judge means you're righteous, so his decisions were not made out of self-interest and self-preservation. That's why when he got done, he says, now I will be blameless to this. Now I will stop, so I I will be blameless. He never went beyond what was not proper. He went what was just. Then the Philistines got mad and in retaliation, killed the whole family. Now he hasn't seen this girl in a year. He finds out, their whole family's been wiped out and burned by the Philistines, and anger rose on the inside of him. And the Spirit of God came mightily. See, it's interesting. Sometimes we get our freedom and we get things all settled and things are going great and, and everything's working right and, we, and we, we live just keeping the enemy out, right? Oh, let's pray about this. Let's get that. Okay. And we kind of do this Christian management thing, right? So we're doing the management. That's not deliverance, people. Come on. That's not deliverance. And then we start discovering who we are and what we are called to and what God wants to do through us and what we can influence. And and we see these things and God did, you know, he does thank God he doesn't give us the big picture all at once because I think it would freak all of us out. But he gives us these glimpses and he keeps opening up more. And this but sometimes we get settled that we're not really provoked in a manner of love towards something else. We start doing it for ourselves. We're just living. I'm free. Hey, brother, you ought to check it out. You should handle it sometimes, it's pretty good stuff. But we're not in that provoked where compassion and understanding is flowing to someone else. He never got mad at his wife. He never got mad at the family for the betrayal. He got mad at the enemy. Come on, that's right. See, he knew where to target the problem. That's good. Let's flash forward over to Delilah. You know that name. Every time I asked, I first thing I asked the guys in the jail, I said, okay, everybody tell me what you think of Samson. Everything I quoted going down the hall, they just repeated back to me. Be careful, women. Be careful what you speak. Watch out for Delilah. I mean, just this whole thing. You know what? God can redeem you in the end. Don't worry. There is some kind of merciful redemption. It might cost you your life, but there it is. I mean, it was the whole thing. That was their whole opinion. That's what we've been taught. I've never gone to a bookstore to pick up a book on the success of Samson. It's always how men can learn to manage their life to avoid problems. I've never seen it. I've never seen a positive book on this man. Am, am I in agreement here? Yeah. You're getting the first of this in a big public audience, I'm just telling you. So you might have to clean up after. I'm just saying, we have not seen this man that was a miracle birth, that his life modeled Jesus almost type and shadow, not in details in letter, in type and shadowed, model Jesus' life all the way to the cross. Who did Jesus love? He loved the prostitute. He loved the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. He loved the woman at the well. Aren't those things that were not supposed to be loved? Yeah. Get, get your mind out of the gutter of what we're thinking this is. This is talking about a compassionate love towards people. Yes. He was accused of being a drunkard. He was accused of being all the wrong things because of the people he chose to love. Yeah. But his own wouldn't receive him. And he gave secrets to his friends. And he revealed them to us. And he put disciples around that probably weren't the quality of the echelon of the society at that time. And the Spirit of God was on him, moving him. To provoke the Pharisees to come to Jesus. Delilah, I kind of see this. If we put this in a a perspective, I think the analogy and the picture that really needs to be clear here is to have, it says about Delilah Delilah in Judges 16.4, afterward it happened that he loved a woman. He loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek. You don't see that word often with husband and wife in the Old Testament. He took a wife. He went and had the family give him a wife. But to love and be deliberate is not really written about in the Old Testament to a big degree. It's there, but it's veiled. You'll see it more. But it's veiled. But to love. That means a deliberate action of heart. And whose name was Delilah. And of course, she wanted to know the secrets of his strength. So he eventually told her. And it says that when he woke, he thought he could break the bonds again, and he couldn't because the Lord had left him. Well see, right there. The Spirit of God left him. When Jesus went to the cross, the first time he ever not experienced his father was when he cried out and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. Because it was the first time he felt what it was like to be we experienced to be separated from him. Just a thought. So he goes in, they they strap him to a mill, and he's pushing this thing around. And it says, right after they shaved his head and put him in there, that his hair began to grow. When does your hair begin to grow? It's always growing. His identity. Was coming back and a reminder of who he was. But it was in the mill, was the first time his heart felt what his own people had been under for 40 years. Now I want you to catch what this prayer is because he didn't repent. Samson called to the Lord saying in verse chapter 16, verse 28, Oh, Lord God, remember me, I pray. I think this is a powerful statement because what he's saying is, God, remember what you made me to be. God, remember the spirit that you gave me. God, remember how you came on me. It wasn't a sense of pity of, oh, please. Just this one time, help me out. He wasn't looking for self-preservation. Something was rising on the inside of him that was a righteous indignation towards something that was going on. He said, strengthen me, I pray, just this once. I only need it once. Just one time is all I need. That I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. I see now what they've been doing and I've been blinded to this thing the whole time. For a man to ask for vengeance means he was unjustly put into that position, which means his actions were not unjust. Otherwise, you cry out for mercy. Yeah. This is why this is important. Because there's things that the enemy has put on you and you've let the shackles become comfortable with and you've been praying, God, just get rid of him and thank God for his, so. listen, I'm just saying, he's so merciful. Yes. Even in your screw-up, he still shows up better than what you thought he could have done. Yes. I'm just saying. So let's don't get into condemnation process. I'm just saying there's something so much more that he is saying to you. When those chains are on, there's something he's trying to provoke on the inside of you. This violates who you are. And something starts rising. When he stood by those pillars, in one blow, he knocked it down. And 3,000 of the leaders of the Philistine world were killed, including himself. It says more was accomplished in his death than was in his life, and he judged for 20 years. But he had never delivered the people, he only managed them. When he became the deliverer at that moment, and I think it's interesting, more was accomplished in Jesus' death than in his life that he walked. This is a picture. And when he was at that cross, Satan says if they knew what he was going to do, they would never put him up there to begin with. Yeah. But he wasn't going up there out of pity. Okay, God, I'll do it. He went in there with a spirit of vengeance. I'm not talking about revenge of getting even. I'm talking about a spirit of just vengeance towards what the enemy has done to the people that he was coming to save. Yes. Amen. And once and for all, he stripped them. It says in Colossians, he brought them through. And what they would do is they'd strip them the king naked and make him into this most embarrassing situation they would drag him through the streets of the conquered city to let him know who he is and that's what he did to satan but that spirit is in you it says you know in in the isaiah version of of luke 4 that i read that it's he came to preach the acceptable year of the lord and the day of vengeance of our god but we haven't asked for God's justice because we've been looking at ourselves for just needing so much mercy. Yes. But justice isn't about you. Justice is about the people that you influence. And there's something inside of all of us, even when in Thailand or you're interacting with people or Jesus had compassion on the people, that word compassion all is love but also a violent anger. It wasn't pity. Oh, you poor thing. Here, let me get you a little cup of water. Ooh, so sorry. (laughs) That is degrading, and it's humiliating, and it's lowering. Compassion was when he saw the leper, he was moved with compassion. That means he was so in love with that man, and he was so violently angry at what was happening to him. Compassion. That's the spirit of our father. And when I began reading through this and I began seeing this picture and there is so much I'm really have only scratched the surface of this idea I'm just saying we've read it wrong. When I begin seeing what God was speaking to me is this is what a free man looks like when they're walking in their identity, when they're walking in what they have, when they're walking in who they are and what I've given to them. They're at rest and they walk. And when the lion comes, he wasn't like sweating it out and having to do some push-ups and really getting psyched up for the battle. He just responded to it in the expectation that he was right. Yes. But he knew who his enemy was. It's not people, people. It's not people. That's how the old enemy try to get it work. They just get you fighting among themselves. It's something much more. Come on, good. Influence is changing the so in this moment when he took down the pillars, I want you, you know, just like Jesus when he came the temple got broken. The 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 veil was split. The walls were broken. The system that was holding the people in bondage was broken when Jesus went to the cross. He tore the system down. When Samson stood and knocked the pillars out, he destroyed the system of Dagon worship and Baal that united all of the Philistine cities together. And when that broke, their system broke, And because it broke, it allowed the Israelites to take Jerusalem, to take Israel, and the kingdom of David was established. Amen. Without the breaking of the system, the kingdom did have a did not have a platform to stand on. Amen, and when we're in Thailand, and I see this and we're walking, in, it's not an arrogance. It's not a we're going we're going to go do someday. We're really prayed up. We're going to go take the devil, right? Trust me, you don't have to go looking for a fight. It's just kind of always there. It seems like I'm talking about, you can now walk in understanding the spirit of God. You see the people where they're at. A love for the people starts taking place. You see issues. You see the heart of the issue and you start saying, God, I just have a compassion to be in the middle of this. Not to, not to have a compassion and someone else needs to go. But to have a compassion where you have to get involved in this. And then once you do, you feel God and his, everything behind you start moving with you. Yeah. Amen. And then they start promoting it. And what's amazing is we finally, we had been teaching on this and we met the, the chief justice over the family court in Chiang Mai. And he came and he, he was speaking. We got to talk to him after and he said this. I mean, talk about how God is just prophetic at the timing where you're called. You know, he says he takes his sons and he aims them like an arrow. Which means he's all the power. And he actually sends you to the direction to a specific spot in time, history, and place for you to be the influence because you are his extension. Amen. That's good. That's good. So he launched us into a place and it was from this place. So we're, we're, the chief family justice, we're sitting and he says this, he goes... I'm going to have to disagree with Buddhism. You don't disagree with Buddhism if you're an officer. It doesn't work. Our kids have to know they can change and they're not reincarnated in from something that they were. They have to know change can happen. Amen. And he had a friend of mine come up on the stage and he said, "Just like this man became a Christian, you can choose something different." God is shaping something for a time and place, and he puts us in those moments. And I will tell you, reading this story, there's just so much as I just start saying, what did you see, Jesus? What did you see, Jesus? Who are you in this story? Who are you in this story? Show me how your love works in this story. And all of a sudden, an understanding of the picture, and there's hundreds of these stories throughout Scripture that we don't interpret from our insecurities, our inferiorities. We don't just read the Psalms because we're sad one day. We read them to encourage ourselves, which means there has to be a hope in it, not just someone who, well, they share in the same misery. I guess I'm in the same boat. Look at Job. That'll be next time. That's a whole different story, right? We look for something to console. We find the woman at the well, well, I'm just like her. Or we find this person, well, I'm just like him. Let me just tell you, sons and daughters of the king, you are not just like them. You are just like Jesus, and he's showing you how he saw them. Don't identify yourself with those people anymore. You're there to minister to them, but you're not them anymore. Amen. That's good. He's showing you through his eyes how he's seeing things, how he lives, how he functions. And when this happens, people change to you, even when they're mean and ugly. You could see something more and you can have a compassion and move beyond that. Now they might want to stay mean and ugly, but they don't have to wreck my day. But there's something so much greater that the Spirit of God is doing in you that it's more than just getting some gifts. It's about letting that happen. But there is a righteous vengeance when things are happening to you. It's not, a, oh, what am I going to do? It's like you reach up and you touch your hair and say, "But my hair's growing." Amen. Yes, somewhere on my body. <laughs> Father, you already provided the vengeance for my enemy. I want to walk in what you've already provided for me. Open my eyes to see. Open my ears to hear. Open my heart to receive everything that you are, that my life is different, that my peace comes from what's on the inside of me, not on the circumstances around me. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. I have more, but we have to go to a picnic. I really want to encourage. Two, two main ideas. I really wanted to encourage you with. First, let God reopen your eyes to what you thought you read before. Say, Father, open your spirit of love as I do these things. Let me see Scripture in the spirit of love. Let me see them how you saw yourself because you found yourself in the Scripture. Now how Jesus turned out the way he was by finding himself in the Old Testament means it's there somewhere, yes. but it made him. The second thing, there's a time for you guys to to allow an indignation to rise up. I'm not referring to world events or the news, or any of that kind of thing. I'm talking there's things that have held you in a box. And you've managed your life well. But you need the fence still up to keep. There's time to step over the fence and say this is still my land too. An indignation that the enemy has lied and helped us the enemy doesn't mind giving you a little plot of land. Just a thought. Joseph was a slave when he went in. He ruled the largest nation of the world and had all authority over all of Egypt. And he was still a slave. Come on. That's good. Who cares what the world puts on a label? You step into the influence you are, it always dominates everything else. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Amen? That's what I see in here. That's my heart for you this morning. That's what changes the world. That's what changes your neighbor. That's what causes you to do something down the street. It makes your life intentional versus responsive. Just responding to things. An intentional life. Missions is all around you. People are all around you. Things are all around you. But being intentional with those people doesn't mean you got to hand them a track with the Norwegian Jesus on it. You just... I'm just kidding. It, it's just funny. That's the one I, I always picture that. I'm wondering, I wonder if he really had blonde hair and blue eyes, you know. Anyway, so we don't, that's not necessarily how we impact it. You see the, understand, Spirit of God, give me an understanding of where they're at in life, that I could come in and be that light to that moment. And guess what? Jesus just became real to them. Life just changed. That's what I learned from Samson.